0: Canary has its eyes on promising startup founders, even if they still don't have an idea or a company name. That's how the early-stage venture capital firm has invested in more than 100 startups throughout Latin America. And that's how it raised $100 million for its third fund at the end of 2021. Marcos Toledo is a co-founder and managing partner at Canary, together with Loft's Florian Agimbuki and Mate Pence and Pecio Urbano's Julio Vasconcelos. Isabel Galera is also a partner at Canary. And today, Marcos, Isabel, and I talk about The trajectory Marcos and Isabel traced up to Canary's foundation, how the LATAM startup ecosystem has evolved since then, and what will the next years look like for tech companies in the region. What's Canary's investment thesis? How the firm tracks the success of its portfolio and supports founders in various sectors, and the impacts of remote work on helping these portfolio companies hire talent. Canary's investment process, the strategy the firm followed in its third fund, and how Marcos and Isabel see the changes in startup valuations during the last months. My name is Brian Reckworth and this is Latitude Podcast. Vamos Latam. First of all, uh, welcome Marcos and Bell to the Latitude Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on.
1: Thanks, Brian. Great to be here.
2: Thanks for inviting us. You know, it's amazing to, to have you as an investor, early investor in our fund when we started, and also an invested company uh, currently.
0: It's pretty incredible to think back to those early days when I join that kind of small group of LPs, of operators and founders, and then kind of look where we are today. Definitely, the ecosystem has changed a whole lot since you kicked off Canary. And, and so I'm excited to dive in with you guys today, talk a little bit more about your perspective on the market and you know share a little bit more insight from, from Canary. So let's start with you, Marcos. You, you've worked uh, in hedge funds and global investment sectors before Canary. When and why did you take an interest in startups and venture capital? Talk a little bit more about those initial connections with Florian, Mate, and give us a little scoop on the early days and kind of how that all came together.
2: Sure. Um, you know, when I started my, my career, I was wanted to, to, to have my own business, you know, to start something uh, from the ground up. But for me, you know, back in those days, early 2000s, um, basically starting a, f- a company was basically start a fund, you know, that, that was... What I, you know, was taught, and um, so that's when I, you know, I was working in a in the financial markets at J.P. Morgan actually, and then I met uh, the founding partner of Square, who I joined uh, to start a company, and uh, which is the hedge fund you mentioned, and I stayed there for like eleven years, and then I, you know, I was with the feeling that I should start something, you know, new again, and I was already, you know, making angel investments and very interested. Uh, in technology and so on, and that's why I decided to leave that partnership uh, in 2015 uh, to start something in the venture in the venture space. And I started to develop this, you know, the thesis around it. And then, you know, what you know should have been my sabbatical year. Uh, um, you know, a week after that, I met with Florian, Matt, and Julio through uh, Patrick. Who, who is our fifth uh founder founding partner uh at the hedge fund um he was my my partner at the hedge fund and then we you know we got together and i still you know recall when i i asked you know florian if he believed there would be a space for another early, early early stage funding LATAM. and he told me that not only he agreed with that But also that, you know, Mate, Julian himself, they were already studying exactly this thesis of, you know, starting something in the venture space. And they were looking for a partner to run, you know, the day-to-day of the fund, you know, raise money, you know, build a team, the processes and so on. Um, And then, you know, we got together and started, you know, thinking about Canary. Um, And it was a kind of an obvious marriage when we started because, they you know, we had Patrick and myself with the investment experience You know, of knowing how to build an investment management company and the three other guys, you know, as operators, you know, with the knowledge of how to to build a company, but also passionate about early stage investing. So that's that's how everything started.
0: Bell, I want to get to you and your story in a second, but just a quick follow up question for Marcos. Was the leap from hedge fund investing to early stage investing? What was the biggest challenge that you had to make mentally? Because a lot of times when you're investing in public markets, you've got very focused on downside risk. And when you're investing in early stage companies, that's probably not something that's top of mind. Uh, you're kind of looking for those outlying you know companies and, and big returns. So may, maybe briefly just reflect a little bit on kind of the the mental leap that you had to make going from public markets to private markets.
2: Yeah, that's probably the, the main thing is exactly what you just mentioned, you know these um, let's say the power law mindset instead of you know looking at the normal <laughs> probability uh, you know uh, distributions. Um, This is the first thing. And the second, I would say, is, you know, the venture, you know, especially in the early stage, is much more about uh, people than, you know, numbers, because we are basically investing in companies when there are just, you know, two or three, you know, founders with with an idea, which is very different from, you know, the hedge fund world where, you know, everyone is talking about, you know, DCF valuations and, and so on.
0: So Bell, uh, you know you've had a, a, a different trajectory you've worked at you know larger companies dealing with data intelligence, supply chain uh, investor relations, finance, and then you decided to join endeavor right which is uh, you know I think we met through endeavor you had a, a clearly had a passion of, for entrepreneurship and supporting entrepreneurs, and now you're a partner at canary. What made you decide to enter the startup and venture capital world
1: yeah it's it's interesting Brian, but uh Actually, startups and and VC were not necessarily a non-option for for my career when I was in college. So I actually had some light about entrepreneurship when I was doing my exchange program in University of Toronto. Uh, I took some entrepreneurship classes and part of my friends there were or wanted to be uh, founders. Um, So when I came back to Brazil, I had my first building experience when I joined a very, very early stage startup and I loved it. So I knew that I wanted to stay in that world of building companies, and that's why I went uh, to Endeavor, and we met, actually. And my time at Endeavor shed light on the visa industry, uh, at least for me. Uh, So when Florian, uh, one of the founding partners of Canary, called me and shared Canary's opportunity, what caught my attention was actually, well, first partnering with uh, people that I admired and shared values with. And second, I think building the VC industry in Latin. So the industry was and still is very incipient. I'm sure you know that, uh, Brian. And uh, I saw a lot of opportunities for Canary as an early stage firm to be successful. Uh, And I had a sense that with the right people and the right tools, we could actually create a lot of value to founders in the region and have a a, a structure impact in the startup ecosystem. So uh, here I am.
0: It's incredible to think of the impact that uh, Endeavor has had on the startup ecosystem, and kind of because in in the early days there wasn't there wasn't really this community of of entrepreneurs, and they kind of went in and 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 helped create that. And it's amazing to think that how many people that actually worked at Endeavor have gone on to like the VC world and you know uh, become entrepreneurs. And so it's 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 another example of the importance of one company or one organization, and then all these things. You know, people talk about the, you know, the Rapi Mafia or other, other things like that. But Endeavor is quite their own kind of impact in, in many ways. And I think that you're a product of, of that experience. Now, going back to the early days here, the venture ecosystem is evolving quite fast. Uh, we've seen a huge, huge gains in terms of volume of entrepreneurs, capital that's poured in. But back in 2015, how would you to define the state of the LATAM startup ecosystem back when you were just starting
2: Canary? Well, <laughs> there was no unicorns around here, right? <laughs> so, you know, the first one was in 2018, you know, 99, Texas. And, um, and with that, you know, although we had some some very, you know, good uh, uh, Series A funds, there was no one writing the first checks uh, on a professional you know, fashion. We also, you know, we didn't have any, any organized uh, community of founders or operators in tech, uh, which, you know, by the way, uh, you guys at, you know, at latitude are you know fostering amazingly well. You know this um, community building uh, side, but then you know we decided to basically one of the things that we did back in those days was to to bring some of the best practices you know around VC to the region here. So we you know we, we were probably the first ones that to to, to post in our website um, the term sheet. You know a very simple one. You know very friendly. We also decided to to get back to the founders very quickly, even if it was a, a pass and so on and so forth. So very basic stuff, I would say, in a time that you know there were rounds here with fifty percent of dilution at the seed stage, right? So it was a the very innings um, of that uh, environment, I'd say. As a quick follow up to that, could you share a little
0: bit more about what was the kind of the main communication that was able to attract LPs? Because if you go to a market and you go out to investors and you're like, there's no unicorns, it's kind of a a sign of promise, right? Like it's like, this is going to happen, but there's no evidence yet. So what was the, what was the pitch? And, you know, besides kind of the, the top line, you know, numbers of like size of the population and everything else, like what what were the key things that were were able to get the the first LPs over
2: crossing the line and and writing that first check? Um, (laughs) You know, uh it's funny actually there was no obvious message we had like 60 600 meetings to, to raise the first fund so it was a you know very hard uh, process i'd say and and the and, and the interest rates here in in brazil at least they, they were actually raising they were very in the in very similar level than they than they are today actually it was a very, let's say, odd environment to raise a VC fund. You know, the interest rates were raise, rising. The um, the LPs didn't know about VC as an asset class around here, and there was no other fund, you know, writing first checks. You know, writing checks for for ideas. Um, I would say that probably the main message that we, you know, successfully made it through was to, you know. To let everyone know that we, we were seeing as, as very active angel investors, we actually had data about the quality of founders starting something uh, in the region here. So the five of us, uh, when we started Canary, we had already more than 100 investments out of our personal accounts as angels. So we knew one at, at least one thing that, you know, the, the quality of the founders coming into the markets um, was amazingly better than they used to be you know then the, the main message was you know guys we're seeing uh, something you know happening here because uh people that used to work for consulting companies or investment bankers or hedge funds they they they're deciding out of the sudden to start something in this region which is not you know far from obvious so that was probably the main the main message so what we were telling you know those investors was, you know, if you want to, you know, if you believe that in, in that and you, you you think that you can capture part of this value that might be created by those, you know, companies that will be uh, founded here and eventually will be, you know, big companies 10 or 15 years from now, uh, maybe this is a right, the, the right, you know, vehicle to, to be in.
0: You mentioned the quality, you know, founders and how that's evolved. You know, we're now seeing second time, third time entrepreneurs. And, you know, you mentioned the talent, which is clearly people, you know, leaving their, you know, kind of big company jobs or working at banks and consulting and then, you know, jumping over to the startup world. And so there's more people with actual operating experience. And then we've obviously evolved in terms of the volume of capital deployed over the years. So what's kind of the missing ingredient in, in, in your minds, um, if you think about what's lacking in Latin America regarding the startup ecosystem?
1: Well, honestly, I think uh, I'd say we need time to mature as an ecosystem. Uh, we do have the foundations, uh, talent, as Marcos and yourself, Brent just mentioned. We have money, we have opportunities, uh, aka lots of huge problems to solve locally. But we don't have so many successful examples yet. Uh, there are not a lot of consolidated tech companies in the region, so we're still creating the next generation of regional big techs. Uh, and I, I think we need time to do that. There's there there are some ways to hack it, but there's a cap into hacking, right? So uh, honestly, I think we need time.
0: And, and and how do you foresee the the following years? You know, given what we've experienced in the last couple of years. What are the the next kind of two or three years look like in your mind in terms of you know in comparison with this massive influx of capital? Uh, have you seen the volume of entrepreneurs that are looking for funding decrease? Is it pretty steady is it has it increased? Uh, if you were to kind of look at the, the 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 pipeline of founders over the last call it six months where we've you know seen a, a market difference in you know kind of in, in capital and you know, valuations have seen a seen a taken a hit. What have you seen a canary in terms of a volume of, of entrepreneurs going out and building new things?
1: We we have seen a decrease uh, in our top of the funnel this year. Honestly, uh, not only the top of the funnel, but quality of founders too. So we have a, a pipeline of deal flow, and we uh, we we qualify our leads just like a sales funnel, and we have seen some decrease uh, in volume. Uh, uh, but the interesting thing is, Brenda, we're, Canary is still active and we have maintained our average of uh, investments. Uh, if we go back to the early uh, quarters of 2021 and back to 2020, uh, we're right now, uh, we're still in the, the same average in terms of new investments. So I would say that uh, there are still uh quality uh people very talented people wanting to to take the risk and to solve huge problems in in latin not only in brazil canary is already investing in 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 other countries too we have investments in mexico colombia uruguay argentina chile so we're pretty active in other countries too and we're seeing uh there's still a trend all the foundations that we mentioned before uh they're still there and they're stronger so we again Uh, People are willing to take risks, willing to build huge businesses. Uh, We, as a fund, we're still active and the opportunities are still there. Uh, The opportunities in Latin are huge. So we're very excited.
0: Hey there. Are you learning some good lessons in this episode? I hope so. The founders and angel investors we have on our fellowship programs learn things like this throughout the entire experience. In the Explore Fellowship, we help you kick off your next big idea. With the Angel Fellowship, you can expand your impact as a startup investor. Be sure to check out latitude.com to find out how to apply for our fellowship programs. Now let's get back to the episode. Thanks a lot. Canary positions itself as kind of the partner of choice for early stage founders in Brazil. Uh, You'd mentioned that you've expanded to other regions. So it's great to see that there's some, you know, some geographic expansion there. And you've mentioned that oftentimes the firm invests in entrepreneurs who don't even have an idea or a company name. Could you talk a little bit more about Canary's investment thesis and how exactly you go about selecting founders at that stage? You you have a mixture of kind of quantitative and qualitative analysis as far as I know, but maybe you can elaborate a bit on that.
1: Yes, for sure. Uh, We do have a structured analysis process, but it's important to reinforce that. There's no guarantee that our process is bulletproof. So we can be, and we probably are wrong many times. So that's part of uh, of the game, but yes, we, we do invest in teams, not necessarily in ideas or businesses. And we know that business can change the day after we decide to invest. That's why we have to build conviction that the founders are the right team to partner with almost regardless of the business itself. So, um, We have five years of investment analysis data and we can predict with a reasonable chance of being assertive the the probability of company raising the next round. And we, well, we analyzed around 40 criteria to help us uh, guide our process. And those criteria are the base to source talented people that can become founders in the future. So I'd say we have Uh, probably two paths to decide when investing. The first one is the standard one. So uh, when we meet teams that uh, are fundraising uh, and within a couple of weeks, we as Canary, we make a decision whether we want to partner with a team or not. And the second path is uh, a longer term one where we build a relationship with a person before he or she even has a business idea. Uh, Personally, um, I prefer the second path uh, we're able to actually meet a person and nurture a non transactional relationship with them. And just to give you, uh, well, uh, most of those relationships that we start are converted to official partnerships when uh, the, the time is right. And to give you a numbers, uh, in Fund 3, the fund that we are currently investing, 40% of the companies uh, we've invested uh, went through this second path that I mentioned. So something that we are doubling down, basically building relationship very early on.
0: Yeah. So you cultivate that relationship uh, and then, you know, you, you, it's not a shotgun wedding. It's something that you, you know, build over time. Exactly.
1: We dated before.
0: I think it's great that you build a long-term relationship with these founders and, you know, it's, it's quite early for Canary. I know you're building a firm that, you know, hopefully lasts generations and decades. Um, But if you look at the kind of early signs of, you know, fund one and fund two, Sign of success is, is obviously raising following capital is is an indicator that shows. And, you know, I know that you have a handful of companies that have been breakout companies and that look like they're potentially going to be quite large. Do you, Is there a metric that you look at as a fund to understand, you know, kind of where you are and how you're how you're tracking in terms of. You know, follow-on capital and the percentage of companies that you've invested in that, after one to two years, have received some additional capital. How do you think about that? So you can kind of gauge whether you're on track.
2: It's a very good point. You know, when we started, I was very concerned about how should we track our operations, you know, and I mean to to be you know sure if we are you know, executing well, if you know things were you know doing well, and, and so on and so forth. And as as you asked, you know before this is one difference, difference uh, between you know, the hedge fund world and, and the VC, because in the hedge fund, you know every day if you are right or wrong. And um, and here, you know, we're making investments for 10 years. So, you know, we don't know if the funds are performing, you know, exactly as as they should. But then what we did was to, to create some, let's say, KPIs or some metrics that we should be tracking more closely, you know, before we, 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 can say that we have a very good track record. Although we are, you know, very, you know, positive and and excited about you know the current returns of the fund. Although, as you said, you know, we're still in the very early innings. Uh, our oldest fund has six years, so you know we still have uh, almost half of the fund uh, uh, to see that. But then, you know, in, in, to your point, uh, the metrics that we are tracking the most here are one is conversion, which is exactly. What you asked, you know, how many companies are raising a subsequent round after our first check, and also the, the subsequent round of that subsequent round, and so on and so forth. So this is something that we are, you know, tracking very closely, and and we have some, let's say, market uh, benchmarks, and 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 we we know, you know, what, what, what are the, let's say the expected numbers and how we are in that sense. So just to give you some numbers we modeled, uh, the funds to expecting that 25% of the fund of the companies would raise a subsequent round. Um, so if you're, if we, if we are writing a seed check, we're expecting that just 25% of of those, you know, companies will would raise a series A and then 50% of those would raise a series B and then probably 50% on series C's and so on and so forth. Um, our first fund, almost sixty percent of the companies raised a subsequent round, so it's you know way better than it's actually more than double what we you know were expecting. So that's why we're you know we're excited. Um, and when we are looking at the second vintage, which we raised in two thousand and nineteen, this number is also better than the model. It's it's closer to it's closer to forty percent. Um, uh, but it's still in the early, you know, innings of that specific vintage, so it, you know it might get better. Um, but this is one thing that we are you know, tracking very closely, and the other one is what we called here the first look. So you know, we 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 want to make sure that everything that is happening in the region here we are seeing first. You know, in terms of funding and you know, and new companies being formed and so on and so forth. This is also you know a very important number, which is currently you know above ninety percent. Um, so, which, you know, makes us very excited about it. Um, and I'll tell you that probably, you know, the, th- those are the two main, you know, things that we are tracking, you know, the most. And, and, pr- and, and then we have some, let's say operational, you know, metrics like, um, like runway of the companies, you know, in, in, in you know, given this environment, this is very important, and and you know, some some other you know, let's say operational metrics that we are tracking from the companies. But you know, in terms of fund, uh, those are probably the two main things that we are tracking the most.
0: Yeah, it's a strong indicator. If, if you know, you, you the game of VC is that you know, you hopefully it's called stage financing for a reason, right? You need to make sure that they get to the next stage, and then the company matures. I'm curious to hear. When you, when you look at the fund was started by you and a handful of other, you know, Mate Florian, Julio, Patrick, you know, so a good portion of them are, you know, have, have started companies before. And when you kind of approach this, what was the discussion that you had internally, you know, that you're like, hey, listen, this is the status quo. Uh, this is what we want to make sure that we do differently uh, as a firm. And you know how have you you know how have you instituted kind of those lessons uh, collectively that you know the the founders have have gained as entrepreneurs? Because typically when you go start something, there's a motivation, right? You want to you want to do it somehow different than what exists today or better. So what were the what were the primary things that you lacking when you started, and and what have you focused on to make sure that you can kind of close the gap and and do something better than what already existed?
2: There was something that those. Quite, actually, quite simple in terms of you know gaps that we were seeing here. As I, as I mentioned, that we were quite active as angels, and a bunch of times that we were writing angels checks, we used to to look at each other and say, you know, there should be a fund, you know, leading that round, you know, someone setting up the terms, setting up the pace, defining you know valuations and so on. You you know, Brian, right, as an active angel, you you know that you know sometimes the founders are raising a new uh, an angel round or a seed round. And he has a bunch of you know interested investors, but no one is actually taking the lead, and you know, and closing you know, the round and you know, and defining the terms and so on. So we thought that you know we should have this fund. We should you know be the ones leading that. Um, as and also as founders, as my 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 partners are, they they also re- related to to that specific you know pain point because as a founder you. In those cases where you were trying to to to, to close around with no leader, um, you know normally that takes you know like six months or ten, or ten months to close. So if you are you know trying to to build a company, it's a it's a pain to have some you know cl- uh, uh, so uh, you know to take so long to to close around. So you know I recall very vividly vividly you know this you know. Days that we were discussing that we should have a fund, or we should, you know, be the ones leading and setting up the terms. Uh, but on top of that, I would say that th- there was a shared, um, you know, uh, passion to to foster entrepreneurship uh, in the region here. That you know, I can say that this is actually very legit, and you know, it was part of my, you know, motivation to to you know to be focused on that, and it's also part of my partners. Um, Mindset.
0: I think that you mentioned, you know, the the angel investors are like corralling a bunch of checks in the beginning. It's very easy for an investor to be like, "Yeah, let me know when you have a lead, and I'll put a check in," because you're significantly de-risked. But the reality is that doesn't really help the founder much. Um, I, I do. I have seen more angel investors now that are just investing on a safe and they're not, they don't need to wait for a canary or fill in the blank fund to, to be leading, which is I think very positive, but um, you know, it's, it is much easier. You know, I, I think, you know, from my perspective, I've done some angel checks and I've done some alongside you uh, among other funds. And like, when I know that there's a fund behind it, it it, it obviously significantly de-risks my investment. So, um, but I, but I do think that someone needs to go out and set the terms and kind of, you know, and 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 put it together. I want to I want to double click on something that, you know, you 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 invest in people. That's something that Canary has said uh, explicitly. Not just you know, not in businesses, but in in people. And since you're agnostic as uh, a firm in terms of of sectors, how do you go about providing support to each segment? It seems very challenging, uh, given that you make a, a large you know um, volume of bets. So, when founders need in specific sectors, how can you support them in 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 that? Um, you know, given that you're investing in all different types of sectors.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, and uh, the answer is basically people to brand uh, to scale our access to technical and operational expertise. We actually rely on our network, so uh, we're we can probably say that we have hundreds of people very engaged with Canary that are. Literally, one WhatsApp message away, and we enable connections between them and invested companies. Uh, we keep track of all the value we we deliver to, to founders, and the bucket uh, technical support—that's how we call it—is the third most relevant in terms of number of interests that we, we we've done this year. So we heavily rely on our network uh, to to help us scale our expertise and our support to, to invested founders. You're part of our network too. So with, uh, I've messaged you a lot since the beginning of the fund. So for you to help founders, so you, you're just one example of a very engaged person, uh, in our network, but, um, we are happy to say that we have a, a large network of very, uh, interesting and, uh, interesting people.
0: So you have this kind of decentralized support of, you know, operators and people. I think it was smart because you early on, you got a lot of operators to invest. And so, um, you know, when people are, you know, when when they're, when they're bought in, you know, with their wallet, they're bought in emotionally too. So it sounds like that was a key element, but how do you keep that engagement going? Um, as your network grows and the volume of investments grows, what is the, if you were to say the one key thing to keep people engaged uh, into the Canary network, what's the one thing that you think is the driver behind having people come back and wanting to help again?
1: Well, I've learned that there's no silver bullet, so we don't have one, uh, one, one tool of engagement, but I'd say that the, the, the most valuable thing is for us exactly to exchange value. So we ask everyone, what is that you expect with Canary? Uh, if the person wants to co-invest with us, we share uh, the deals that we were leading with them. If the person wants to learn from Canary, we make sure that w- that person will learn from us. So basically, we, we have to know the person in a deep way and understand what he or she expects from Canary and deliver that. And most of the times, uh, it's a situation that is win, win, win. Uh, the person wants something that can be actually valuable to the founder that we are investing in, and consequently to Canary as well. So uh, it's a exchange of value that is literally win win win.
0: And I guess this wouldn't be possible if the ecosystem didn't mature, right? Because exactly. you know, five ten years ago, it might be more difficult to find people that had expertise, um, you know, vertical expertise, whether that's in health tech or ed tech. Uh, if you can, you know, uh, reach into your network and, and you know, and help a founder out uh, because there's more of a robust ecosystem now. And, and let's talk about besides capital and some of the support that you'd mentioned with your operator network, uh, canary focuses a lot on finding talent. It's part of something that you know you you have prioritized. Talk about the impacts of remote work and and how that you know since the pandemic has has that made it harder to attract talent? Um, you know how is the, how have the salaries been impacted? And how has that affected your, your kind of people ops uh, in terms of supporting your portfolios?
1: Yeah, great, great question. And uh, uh, we're very hands-on in terms of talent. Uh, hiring is one of the most painful challenges for startups of all stages, regard- regardless of their size, maturity, funding, and so on and so forth. So uh, we actually have a dedicated team within Canary that uh, focuses literally on helping invest companies accessing Potential candidates and providing insights and intelligence. So, we, we run an annual survey with invested companies uh, regarding compensation and hiring. And one thing uh, that is very interesting uh, uh, that relates with your question, Brian is that we have one question for for the the companies to answer, that is the level of difficulty perceived by the founders in terms of hiring different positions. And the level of difficulty uh, of hiring CTOs has increased a lot since 2019 when we started the the survey. So this year, Brazil-based companies marked 4.7 out of 5 the difficulty level of hiring a CTO, Colombian companies marked five out of five and Mexico-based companies marked 3.7 out of five. But the, all those three metrics are much higher than the the average of the other positions. And one interesting thing is that some Mexican companies uh, that marked 3.7, the level of difficulty, actually pay their CTOs in USD. So it's not necessarily a statistic, statistically relevant sample. So I cannot isolate the currency variable and say that paying highs or in pesos weights in this difficulty level, but it's a fact that geographic barrier to hire are much lower and the work dynamic has changed. So most of the companies, actually 97% of the companies that we interviewed uh, are hybrid or remote first. So uh, most of the companies... Don't don't expect to come back to the office uh, to in person uh, fully. So a lot has changed. It's difficult. I don't have a, a straightforward answer to you, but uh, we're still gathering data on that.
0: And do you have a team that grabs this data and does the research? Like, how do you, you know, as an organization, and is that something that is that primary leverage for PR purposes, or is something that you? You know, what do you do with the data and and how do you, you know, how do you try to help your companies based on what you learn there?
1: Yeah, we do. We do have a a person completely focused on intelligence and insights, how we call it. Uh, We actually have a proprietary system that uh, this person developed internally to organize the data and to to provide uh, Uh, let's say, the visual uh, uh, effects of the data, productize uh, the data, not only for Canary itself for us, for our support, but also for invested companies. So our main purpose to gather those those data is to help companies. We don't do that for PR or anything like that. It's to help invested companies with benchmarks and perspective of the market. Uh, Canary is in, in a privileged position since we invest so early on um, we tend to invest in, in a larger amount of companies so we have consequently uh, uh, access to to more intelligence and to, we can provide that intelligence to founders so that's uh, a main, main pillar uh, here at, at the company.
0: That's great. Hey there. You might be thinking about how hard it is to build a venture-backed company. Well, I know firsthand, and I made some mistakes along the way. We lost over $100 million in capital gains taxes because of the company formation mistake that I made. I don't want that to happen to you. That's why we built Latitude Go. We provide an optimal offshore structure for your startup, and we do it in record time. And guess what? It's five times less expensive as other options, and we use the same legal documents as the top-tier law firms. To find out more, check out latitude.com forward slash go. Now, let's get back to the episode. R- wrapping up with a couple more questions, I you know, I, I'm curious if you could walk through uh to kind of set the expectation of the founders listening. Um, you know, from first contact to close, obviously these are very significantly depending on a handful of, you know, things like how hot a deal is or how experienced a founder is or if you already had a thesis about the sector. But if you could take us through the kind of inner workings of like, you know, you, you find out about a company, they talk to a partner, and then you have a partner meeting. Give us a little bit of the inside, um, you know, scoop on how that operates uh, within Canary and what founders can expect in terms of a timeline once they, you know, reach out to Canary.
2: I know we, we try to, to be, you know, very fast, I would say, Brian, because it's you know, as I said, you know, we 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 can relate with the fact that it's normally very hard to close around round uh, for a founder and you know, especially when they are in the early you know stages. Um with that, what we we have done here is we are creating, you know, kind of a process that we, we can you know give some you know more power, let's say, to the partner that are actually leading you know the the round, I would say um so what we are doing here is you know someone uh brings us you know you know new deal um probably you know one of our of the partners will let's say lead internally the deal uh but the way we see which is differently from let's say the traditional vc model there is a you know where in you know, normally the traditional model you have uh, partner leading which normally you know um discuss the deal in the in the in the investment committee tries to close the deal and then gets a board seat in the company and, and that's you know, normally how it works. Here, you know, we see Canary as a kind of a platform. So the, the founder is actually negotiating with all of us, but we have internally someone that is actually leading the discussions basically to make sure that we are in, in a timely manner getting back to the founders and you know and making sure that we have kind of a SLA <laughs> to get back to to the founders uh, quickly. And then uh, we have, you know, with the data that we are collecting, we can. This data actually helps uh, us internally to discuss uh, if the if the deal makes sense in terms of addressable market and quality of the founders, on top of the valuation or the runway that they are, you know, looking for in terms of size of check size. Um, so with that, you know, with this, let's say, data, uh, we can actually decide. Quickly, if it's a let's say no brainer deal where we can actually close without having to submit that to the investment committee, we can actually discuss over Slack and then you know decide and go you know go further and and close. And if it's a case of a deal that is let's say outside of the guardrails of valuation or you know size of the market, or if we are not let's say. Totally convinced about the size of the opportunity, let's say, or even if we have found a flag in our reference check process, which runs, you know, let's say in parallel in this process, um, we then, you know, can submit to the investment committee and say, you know what, guys, we need to discuss this uh, in more detail because either um, it's, you know, it's a very expensive deal or it's a we're not, you know. 100 percent with a conviction that it makes sense in terms of business model, or we have found a flag, a yellow flag, or something around, you know, the people involved. So we need to discuss more. We need to to have more, you know, let's say help from from the other members of the committee. So that's the way we are set up, uh, and basically to say that you know we we are trying to to use you know firstly you know data and also some you know processes to make sure that we are getting back to the founders quite. Quite quickly, and actually we're trying to measure our n p s on the passes that we are giving you know not only with the companies that we're investing in but also with the companies that we are not investing because we we want to make sure that the process is actually you know flawless and it's it's working and so on
0: yeah that's interesting because it's easy to get founders to like you when you give them money, <laughs> but getting a founder to like you when you don't give them their money is 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 quite a, a challenging feat. Um, and so I think that that would be an amazing process if you can work out NPS based on people that actually apply. So it's a positive experience. That, I think that's a, a very smart, kind of holistic way of thinking about it. And I have a question about you know reference checks because part of me questions how effective a reference check is um, from the standpoint of like, if you call someone's boss and they worked at a company and they were like difficult or like they you know, were you know, I don't know, contentious somehow, or they weren't easy to manage. Like, is that an indicator that they're going to be a bad founder? Obviously, if there's something from like a moral ethical standpoint, then, you know, that would be a flag that would be a non-negotiable just because you don't want to invest in a founder that has had some kind of shady background or shady past. But if they're like a difficult person, knowing the, the personality of founders, so how do you, what do you judge and what do you look for when you kind of execute a reference check
1: um yeah no, know that that's that's a great question and we're learning brian honestly but uh we do rely uh, on our network people that we trust to give you to give us candid uh feedback on a person that we are uh considering investing so uh it's an important part of our process and uh every deal that we uh move forward in our funnel go through reference checks uh, from our network. And uh, it really, uh, we have a process, like we have a guideline and a framework of doing uh, reference checks, so we can guarantee that every one of us uh, that actually uh, is on the front line doing reference checks uh, follow a standard. Um, But um, the truth is, uh, reference checks are not besides the one that you mentioned, uh, ethical ones, they're not necessarily deal breakers. Uh, they're not necessarily uh, a green light or, or, or a yellow light. When is a red light? It's a red light and uh, we, we'll, we, we, we respect uh, the, the reference, but uh, we, we try to get a deeper look uh, and an holistic look uh, on criteria that are that, that are relevant to us. So it's not only about, okay, how is that person uh, uh, leading a team or uh, is that person difficult or not? We go deeper. We go, uh, okay, uh, is that this person, uh, is she or or he like uh, good in building teams? And uh, we search for examples of that specific pillar that is important to us and I think it's easier for us when we know the person before and uh, we had when we had time to, to get to know the person and to build our own conviction. So reference checks are kind of, uh, let's say, uh, uh, features. Uh, but uh, again, it's an important part of our process. We're learning how to do it. But for us, it fills some boxes that we cannot uh, fill when we have one or two conversations with the team.
0: So Canaries announced its you know, third fund, $100 million at the end of last year, and maybe talk a, a bit about how many startups you've invested in Fund3 so far, and you know what's, the, what's the, the plan in terms of how fast you'll deploy that capital. And then if you could share us any insight onto um, changes in valuation over the last six months compared to, to 2021, uh, just talk a little bit more about what you've seen in terms of capital deployed into companies.
1: Yeah, Brent, we've actually invested, I think, 65, 65 or 70% of the amount dedicated to first investments in Fundtree. So we have runway to go. And uh, yeah, the, the market conditions on valuations, uh, we've seen it changing. Uh, Not only for seed or pre-seed, but also for series A's and B's. But I wouldn't say that the market condition uh, changed our plans specifically. We're still active and we maintain our call of being the the partner of uh, best teams very early on. I would say that we've uh, leveled up our our quality bar in terms of new investments, uh, which was not necessarily driven only by market condition, but uh, also given our pattern recognition and learnings gathered through, throughout the years. But one of the advices that we usually give founders on, on situations like uh, the current state of the market is heads down, focus on your core business, organize your operation, and so on and so forth. So that's something that we actually, uh, that we have done this, this year. We've carefully looked internally and adjusted our operation uh, in order to be more efficient with our time and be able to juggle the many balls that we have in a more assertive way. But Marcos, maybe you can shed some light on the, the valuations that we've seen.
2: No, and I would just add that, you know, for, for the seed stage, Brian, um, you know, the thesis, you know, remains solid. We, we continue to see, you know, very good people starting, you know, businesses here, basically because of what we, you know, said earlier, we continue to to have a region here with you know very inefficient, with you know very you know with sectors very fragmented, uh, with low tech and so on and so forth. So we we continue to see you know very talent very good and talented people, you know, with the goal of you know tackling those those inefficiencies. Uh, so that hasn't changed, I would say. And and in the, and then in terms of valuation, what is interesting to to note is that we we indeed saw some let's say. Um, um, adjustments in valuations, even in the seed stage. But the interesting fact is that those adjustments started from the second-timers or third-time founders, um, which I believe you know, makes sense because those are the founders that actually already you know, lived through other you know, crises and understand that you know, the most important thing is actually to raise the enough you know, amount of money to put their company, you know, running and build a team and so on. And, and they can, you know, very very quickly adjust their expectations in terms of, you know, valuation for the first round. Um, and then talking about, let's say, the other rounds, like Series A's and B's and so on, what we are seeing here this year is, firstly, you know, those early stage rounds from A's and B's, um, mainly, they con- they, are, they are still happening so th- we are seeing those rounds happening here. Just within our portfolio, we saw more than, I'd say, 17 or 18 uh, rounds, you know, subsequent of ours that happened already this year within the portfolio. So it's not that, you know, the, the, the market stopped. You know, the, the the rounds are happening. But this number, it's like 30% lower than, you know, what we it was last year, by this you know time of the year, and also thirty around thirty percent lower in terms of volume uh, of you know size check size or round size and so on. Um, so that's that's what we're seeing. And then when it comes to you know series C's and, and D's and so on, then we're not seeing so many you know so so much activity uh, around those later stage rounds.
0: Can we talk in in, in uh, round numbers in terms of like? You know, you don't have to give me your exact bi- average valuation of of seed rounds, but you know, if, if it was, if it's, you mentioned thirty percent lower in the kind of Series A, Series B, are the seed rounds and the pre-seed rounds? Is it is it like a ten percent adjustment? And what's the kind of the typical valuation range that you're seeing? Um, you know, at, at Canary and in, in, in the kind of pre-seed and seed rounds?
2: Yeah, you know, I can share some some numbers. You know, when we started, you know, the first vintage, the average, um, it's something around five or six million dollars post money, you know, the seed rounds that we, you know, participated in. This a bit number, lower
1: actually, right, Marcos? Three.
2: So on, on average, it was a little bit more than, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, but then, you know, for for the second vintage, you know, this number was, you know, closer to $10 million, you know, from eight to 10. And then, you know, by by the end of last year, we were seeing, you know, rounds of around forty-five million dollars, um, but the range, I would say, it was from ten million dollars to probably on average twenty-five million dollars uh, of post money. And then now, what we're seeing is that this, you know, the numbers are more, you know, they're, I would say closer to what we were seeing in two thousand and nineteen and twenty. So, you know, range, ranging from Six, so I'd say five to twelve to fifteen million dollars on average.
0: Okay, so it's pre- it's pretty significant the adjustment uh, compared yeah. to last year, and uh, but still at a at a higher higher mark than you know than three years ago. And so, when you were saying that the second ter- third time founders, does that mean that they're going in and just like expecting it to be lower and just accepting it much more? Kind of easily because they've just been through a cycle before. Talk a little bit more about the psychology of sure. that. I, I, I yeah, it, curious
2: even more. Yeah, it's a it's a guess. Right? <laughs> you know, that's our thesis, but probably you know w- what we think is those let's say more seasoned founders they understand the stage financing you know side of the you know of this game, which means that they're not you know looking for let's say optimizing for the highest valuation in the seed round, which, you know, doesn't make any sense. You you need to think about the next stages and you want to, to have markups in all of your stages, you know, ideally. So if you are, you know, inflating your first round, you're actually putting yourself probably in a, you know, eventually in a valuation trap for the next round, because you need to build up, you know, enough traction to justify, let's say, a three or four times that first valuation, uh, which is very hard to do that with the first check. So normally it makes sense; it's, it makes more sense to start with a lower valuation and then build, you know, the, the product and the team, and then start validating in the thesis, and then you raise a new round with some, you know, data and so on and so forth, and and, and continue this, you know, stage uh, financing, you know, um, idea. So I believe that those, you know, more experienced founders they understand that and they 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 want to navigate that in a, in in this smoother way you know, possible, which means, you know, not optimizing for, for the first, you know, valuation that they're they getting. So it, so it sounds like
0: you're seeing this adjustment, but, and there's been a, a slight kind of pullback in the volume of, of companies that are being started. But, you know, if we go back to like three, four or five months ago, you know, there was varying degrees of severity of this kind of Call it recession or call it like slowdown. Now that we're six months in, um, how does how does your perspective about the current market dynamics differ from you know six months ago when we were when everyone was kind of you know pontificating on what the future of of you know venture was and particularly in in, in our region in Latin America?
2: Sure, you know the good the good side of you know being being working you know in the investment side for for so many years. Is that we saw, you know, some other, you know, crisis, and we know that, you know, the world will not end. And um, but I, one thing that I, that I think it's is worth, you know, mentioning here is differently from from the U.S. and other, you know, developed regions, Latin actually did not have any liquidity boom for let's say ten years, which is something that we saw in the U.S., for example. What we had here was a six, 10 months, you know, boom. You know, during you know the last semester of last year. Um, so with that, you know, my thesis is that you know most of the founders around here were not growing at all costs and not paying attention to to their economics. You know, because they are not used to you know, to, they're actually used to navigating extreme and volatile conditions. Uh, you know, regarding funding, and and that's why. What happened, you know, and what we are seeing, you know, looking at our portfolio as a proxy of the market is, you know, a lot of them you know, have raised money last year, firstly. And secondly, they, you know, in addition to have this healthy, you know, cash balances, uh, they have a clear view of the levers they have you know, in hand to extend more their runways. So because of this, you know, of the fact that they are living in a region that is very volatile and so on and so forth. So looking at our current portfolio, the vast majority of the companies actually have runway of more than 15 months on average. You know, the top 25% companies are actually, you know, they, they have longer runway than, than that. Um, and some of them are actually reducing growth and even reaching, you know, break even. So what we are seeing, you know, in the current environment is that, you know, on a macro level, I would say that probably, you know, things might get worse before they get better, you know, because we're still seeing, know, signs of inflation, you know, outside and so on and so forth. We're not macro investors, but, you know, we love the subject. But the point is, I believe that, you know, probably it may take longer to, you know, for us to see the funding environment resume, you know, the activity. But, you know, in probably mid of next year or by the end of next year, we're going to see, you know, more checks, you know, being written by, by, by global funds. Um, um, and on top of that, we're seeing more and more interested global investors in the region, which is a very positive sign. Um, most of those guys, you know, they have, you know, very strong dry powder, you know, balances in, in their fund. Um, so so the point, my point here is, you know, although probably the crisis will, you know, take longer to, to end, uh, on the other side, uh, we're seeing companies very well run and, you know, with very healthy, you know, runways. Um, but, you know, that said, what probably the news around here will get worse also because um, the good companies are actually not raising money. So we're not hearing about them. And you know the ones that were not able to let's say make the adjustments and extend the runway will be the ones raising down rounds now or unwinding their operations, so you know probably the news will get you know worse, but actually it is a result of us not hearing from the good ones,
0: yeah, it makes sense. It's going back to that first statement you had when you're a public investor, you know if you're winning every day or losing every day, and as a you know private investor, just to quote uh Ali from Stonks, a uh, guy that came on, he said that the best, funny enough, the the a lot of times the best performing investors, he said in re- in retail were actually people that had died because they just didn't touch their investment and it just it just grew. And you know that's the the temptation when you're a public investor is to kind of pull out. And you know when you're when you're an early stage investor, you're kind of just in it for the long haul. And you know you don't feel the ups and the downs like you do in the public markets. So, um, but I do think that. Latin American founders are probably more equipped to deal with the uncertainty, given that it's a region of, of volatility. And so, I think that that's probably a, a pretty uh, a fair assessment. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Um, you know, Bell Marcos, it's a pleasure to have you on. Thanks for also being a supporter of Latitude, and you know, I'm, I'm happy to be partners and LP, and also have you guys invest in our in our last round. And so, it's a pleasure to you know to to work with you, and uh, you know, it's exciting to. See the next generation of companies be built. And uh, I still think it's very early days for uh for Latam and tech, and so I'm excited to continue to build that with you.
2: Thank you. No, it is a pleasure, you know, and also an honor to, to be that close, you know, even closer to to you now. So, you know, thanks, thanks for inviting us.
1: Thank you so much, Brian.
2: Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to the Latitude Podcast with Marcos Toleo and Isabel Galera. Subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast for more talks with great investors like them. I'm your host, Brian Reckworth. Vamos Latam. See you next week.